Welcome. Really nice to see you all here. I think you all know who we are, yes? I'm Atanasanti and David Gardner. Amatanasanti, I'll mention again at the end, is uh, an ordained nun in the Theravadan tradition, the forest tradition. And we're really delighted to have her here, and I'm really delighted to be teaching with her. And uh, she lives on the generosity of others, as all of us do, actually, but she even more so. <laughs> she depends on them. Actually, we all do, but... My emphasis is to say that we'll have lunch afterwards, for those of you who like, a potluck, and an opportunity to share food with her, which is a common tradition, actually, an offering of food. And then I have pieces of paper in the back that describe um, the tradition of generosity to monastics that Amantana Sandha put together, a sheet called Profound Interdependence. Because one of the things that the Buddha taught was that there's no necessarily superiority between the monastics and the lay people in terms of dependence. The dependence cuts both ways. Right? It's not just that we are dependent upon their lifestyle, their model, their teaching. That the interdependence cuts both ways. That the monastic community is dependent upon clothing, food, shelter, and then the lay community is dependent upon the model of purity that the monastics offer, their teachings, their guidance, and their mere presence in life as an alternative to all the productivity that we see is so essential to our happiness. So, end of that small talk. So I want to give a very brief introduction. Um, so a very brief, simple summary, and then frame some things for today. The series title is Navigating Issues That Arise in the Path of Meditation or in Our Meditation Practice. And our series assumes that each of the participants is familiar with meditation practice, if not in depth, at least at a beginning level. We also are aiming our instructions at people who are not only somewhat experienced in meditation, but are able to do some things in their meditation, such as to be able to see states of mind and body as they arise without reacting to them. That's a simple meditation skill that for some people can take months and months and it's one of the key skills in meditation. And that's one of the things that we've been talking about, is how to work with things that arise, both in your body and mind as you sit, but also outside your sitting practice. Because there tends to be, among Westerners who are introduced to Buddhist meditation, a variety of misconceptions, one of which is that meditation is about seeking peace and calm, about turning the mind off, about ignoring all the negativities and yuckiness of life, and sort of escaping into a quiet place. And Amatanasanti, in my understanding, according to our study and our own practice of the Buddhist tradition, is that that's not a very healthy way to approach the meditative practice, at least if the goals are to be consonant with the Buddhist tradition's goals, that rather engaging with what arises in the mind and the difficulties that arise, as well as the difficulties that arise with painful states, as well as happy states. Both of them are seen as difficulties in terms of how we react to them, we cling to them. Right? We cling to one to get away from it, we cling to the other kind because we want to hold on to it, as if getting away from negative states and holding on to joyous states is going to provide us some kind of lasting contentment. And the tradition suggests that we're mistaken in that. So that working with how all kinds of states arise, in particular difficult ones, is what the theme of this series has been. The last class, in particular on Thursday, we talked about trauma. 
rather deeply, different kinds of trauma that arise in ways in which we can deal with them skillfully. Today we might touch upon that again, but today our intention is more to give a selection of some other kinds of practices in the tradition aside from mindfulness. And we're going to give, we could talk about many, but we have only a few hours. So we're going to talk about three kinds of meditation. I will introduce two, and Amatana Santi will introduce one. There will be meditations on the Four Noble Truths, meditation on something called Big Mind, and meditation on sympathetic joy, which is one of the four Brahma-Viharas, or the four immeasurables. And we'll talk a little bit about, more about those later. Is there anything you'd like to add to our introduction here? Well, maybe one thing, which is, is that what's really important with all these words is to understand that the basis of the practice is in our body. And no matter what we hear and the concepts that we have, to keep coming back to our attention being embased in our body, because that's the place where that's the greatest leverage that we have to work with what's arising. Yeah. That's funny. That's something I emphasize strongly in each of my prior introductions, but not this one. Thank you. So that said, we're going to move into our first meditation this morning. And so I'd like you to get as settled as you can on your cushions or on your chairs. So fully grounded in your chair, in your on your cushion. If you can extend your back a little more than normal, as probably you've heard often in the Buddhist tradition, they recommend when you're sitting in a chair that you have your back straight. If that's really uncomfortable for you and you prefer to have the seat back as a support, then that's fine. Even then, though, it can be helpful if you can elongate the spine a little bit more than normal. Or if you don't actually physically stretch it out, you just imagine visually that it's elongated. That you pull the head up a little bit higher and bring the lower part of the spine down a little bit as if the spine is a kind of rubber band and you're gently tugging it from bottom and top, extending its length a little bit and opening a bit of space between the vertebrae. And we can think of elongating our spine in a couple of ways at least. One is that there are many energies associated with our spine, in particular the spinal column inside, nervous system energies that are related to our thinking and our feeling and our states of awareness. And as we elongate them and stretch them out, there's a way in which it seems some of those energies get relaxed and open, and it's more conducive to clear awareness. At the same time, I think that a, a straighter back than we normally hold marks a certain kind of intention that the practice would have engaged in. The sitting we're engaging in now is not quite like other forms of sitting. That we're making an intention to generate clear and strong awareness of certain skillful states of mind. Not that we're not doing that any other time of the day, but probably most of us are not doing it all throughout the day, but let's at least mark our sitting now with that intention. And the back in a certain way marks that physically. But while the back is erect, or straighter than normal, the rest of the body should be quite relaxed. As you breathe in to the body and you notice the responses to the breath in the body, let's just do that for a couple of breaths. Take a couple of breaths a little longer, perhaps a little deeper than normal. And feel the body fully. 
may help when you first sit to bring an intention to relax a little bit some of the tensions in the body if you can. If they don't relax, that's fine. But some of us find that by breathing in and noticing where some tensions in the body reside, and then as you breathe out with a gentle intention, may I relax the tightness in my back. And as you breathe out, feel as if maybe some of it can release. Or in my hips. Or in my neck. Or in my belly. As if the expansion of the entire torso with the in-breath kind of massages parts of the body as it expands. Releases some tension that then comes out with your out-breath. If you can feel a little bit of tension relaxing, then that's good. If you can't, don't be caught up in it. It's not necessary. But it is helpful as you breathe out to feel you're breathing out some of the kinds of minds that occupy us during most of the day. Breathing in awareness of the present moment in the body, breathing out busyness of thoughts and planning and worry. So we're bringing ourselves into the body and allowing the body to settle, whether the tension actually releases or not. With the out-breath, you can just let go of busyness and other thoughts and bring your attention into the body. Settle into it. Allow the body to settle downward into the chair, downward into the ground beneath the cushion, downward through your feet if they're on the floor, firmly planted and rooted, deep beneath the floor, down into the earth. And while on the one hand, while that's an intention, on the other hand, what you're really doing is just zeroing into the natural force of gravity as it pulls us down, which we sometimes consciously either neglect or even resist as we, for various reasons, try to pull ourselves up. Here we have just our back up, the body down, relaxed, naturally, calmly grounded. I'll note one last thing before I start to talk about briefly the Four Noble Truths. That when we do this simple mindfulness practice, grounding our awareness in the breath and the body, that doesn't mean that we have to ignore external stimuli like the sounds of the wind or of cars. If those come to our awareness, that's fine. Because the things that we hear around us are also part of the body awareness. Note how the sound of the wind, the feeling of the wind, the sound of the cars on the freeway are also inside your body.
So I'm going to guide for a few minutes some reflections on the Four Noble Truths. I'll run through the four quickly and then I'm going to focus on them in an abbreviated fashion. As I'm sure you know, the Four Truths are essential teaching in Buddhism. And they're a kind of intellectual template that many people start off their study of Buddhism with, but they're much more than an intellectual template. They're a real guide for coming to know body and mind intimately. The first truth is that there's no living without struggle, without tension, without stress, without suffering. It comes with the package. And to deny that is simply to deny what's really going on here. It doesn't mean that every moment of life is full of suffering, but that the suffering is going to be here. And in some ways, rather than being a harbinger of pain or a pessimistic message, it can be a very soothing message because it teaches us that when we encounter difficulty in our life, it's simply the nature of our body and mind, the fabric of our existence that's manifesting. It's not that we are bad. It's just the way things are. The second noble truth is that this suffering, this stress, this untidiness has sources. The main source that's identified is a deep kind of clinging or craving. It's a thirst, a deep thirst. A thirst for being, more states of being. Thirst for pleasures. And thirst that things go away. Both things outside us and things inside us. These thirsts arise. Sometimes these thirsts are said to be based upon ignorance, and so the second truth as the source or causes of suffering is discussed in various places in the Buddhist tradition as both craving and as the ignorance that undergirds it. More on that in a moment. The third truth is freedom, that there is freedom possible, that because we understand what the sources of suffering are, by deep investigation and intimate exploration of how these sources arise within our lives, within our minds, within our bodies and beings. That with deep investigation we can come to see and know and uproot the deepest sources of suffering. That that is possible and hence that freedom is possible for us is the third truth. The word nirvana or nibbana is a way of describing that freedom. And the fourth truth is also a hopeful one. It indicates that there are ways clearly delineated by great teachers, but in our tradition in particular by the Buddha, for coming to know that freedom, for coming to uproot the sources of suffering, that there's a path sometimes described as having eight spokes. Those eight summarize sometimes as three, the foundation of morality or ethics, the practice of contemplation, and the cultivation of deep insight, clear seeing and knowing.
So the four truths have a structure that some texts delineate of cause and effect, with the second truth, in essence, being the cause of the first. Clinging is the source of our agony, our suffering, our stress. And in a sense, the fourth truth being the cause of the third, that is, the path leads to freedom. I want to focus our meditation really on the second truth today. Because I think in many ways a focus on the second truth can open up all four. So I'd like to talk for a few more minutes and then I'll leave a bit of quiet. The second truth is described as craving, as clinging, as thirst. Thirst for new states of being, wanting more and more of me in different forms, status, relationship. Not that these things in themselves are bad, but that there's a deep craving that is always wanting more, and that even though new states arise, those cravings are not fulfilled. They arise again as well. as well as then craving for pleasurable sensations, possessions, and then craving for things to disappear, things you don't like, you don't want. All these three. I'd like as you sit here to feel in your body not only physical sensations, but also feelings of of impulse, of reaction. How craving manifests in the body in a very palpable form. I'll give a few examples and then you can find your own and sit for a few minutes. Examples might be the craving to still my mind. the craving to ease pain or tension in my body. Note, not just a soft intention, but a a, a clinging, a strong holding, a kind of pushing forward, wanting to grab. Tension in the body, pain in the body, movement in the mind, sleepiness, Those are physical things, but then there can be other things. Wish that a relationship be cleared up. Wish that our money situation is cleared up. You might even feel a craving. I wish that David would stop talking so we can be quiet. I will now. Sit for a few moments and see how you observe in your body the energy of clinging, of holding, of grabbing, of wanting. And without judging it as bad, observe it. Observe the clinging, holding, grabbing, thirsting nature of this body and mind right here.
And if you feel overly anxious, just remember, come back into your breath. Breathe easily and observe. One way of addressing this, and it's important to have different ways of thinking, of seeing, of asking questions about this. If you're not seeing clinging as it arises moment by moment, one way would be to ask a question. Do my body and mind feel totally at ease now? Are my body and mind completely at peace If they are, then perhaps no clinging is arising in the moment, at least not on a gross, easily observable level. But for many of us, even at the gross observable level, we won't notice immediately deep peace in the body and mind, deep contentment. So if you ask that simple question, you can see in response to it that there are things driving you. There are fish leaping out of that pond of stillness, jumping at this or that. It's very, very helpful to pay attention to them, and not with a sense of guilt or scorn at the suffering within us. An open intimacy, seeing it as it is. not a large gap between the clinging, the impulses that we feel in mind and body as we sit quietly, and what we call the stress or struggle or suffering. In some ways, the first and the second noble truths are deeply intertwined. When you come to see the clinging and grasping nature of mind and body, when you come to feel in your own body the tension and the wish that it disappear, sometimes the pushing forward in your back that's leaning towards yet another state of being, wanting something other than what's here. The craving for something new, the craving that something disappear, when you can begin to feel it in your own body, the not-at-easeness 
of your being in a very basic sense, right there in exploring the second noble truth, you come to see the nature of the first one. In many ways, that very craving and thirst itself is what they call the suffering of the first noble truth. Sit with that for just a moment. Again, using your breath as a touchstone so as not to get anxious. There's nothing wrong, it's just what is. we do here is the path or the fourth truth not the entirety of it but the contemplative part and in part the insight or wisdom component that is we sit and learn to see what is with patience with compassion for ourselves with an intention to see clearly. And with time, as we peel the layers of the onion of our being, subtler, deeper levels of clinging become manifest. And we sit with them and we observe them. Sometimes we struggle with them. Sometimes rather severely. But this is the path, opening with patience, awareness, gentleness. And as we sit with our clingings, allow them to be with gentle awareness and watch their energy dissipate and dissolve, we are practicing the path to the dissolution of the tanglements of craving and suffering. So right here in this simple practice, we see the Four Noble Truths manifesting in our body as we sit quietly. Observe the deep longings and lunging forwards. And we rest in gentle awareness as slowly, one by one, their energy passes. Passes. 